Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. How patient are you? I, I really didn't expect to hear the chuckles, but I guess that, that's pretty telling as well. And, and you know, let, let's not play games here. Let, let's not say, well, it, it depends. It, it doesn't. It, it doesn't depend on the circumstances at all, if, if truth be told. It matters not whether you are in elementary school or a grandparent. Whether you are voluntarily waiting or if you're forced to do so with no other options. This is a definition that, that I can buy into, though. Patience is not the ability to wait. It's the ability to wait and keep a good attitude. So, is patience necessary these days? Have you driven on South Broadway? <laughs> or, or what if you're out Christmas shopping? Have you been stuck in a long line? Or suppose you're six years old, and it's Christmas Eve. And you should have been asleep hours ago. How patient are your parents? <laughs> I think we'd all agree. Patience is in high demand these days. And I suppose it always has been. After all, it was God Himself who, who listed patience as one of the nine fruit of His Spirit. Along with love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest. Back, back to the original question then. How patient are you? In this season of Advent, we're, we're reminded of this very important truth. One that doesn't fit well with our uh, instant gratification attitude and mentality. But the truth is, the Advent, the coming, the arrival of Jesus takes time. His first coming was only after 400 years following the, the Old Testament prophet's final words. And we turn to the book of Revelation where Jesus also promises, I'm coming soon, and yet that was 2,000 years ago. So for the child of God who has little or no patience, what is life going to be like? I would suggest that discouragement is likely to be our calling card. And instead of being positive and optimistic and, and full of joy, it's more likely that hopelessness will be that which identifies us. Let's also consider this. When we know, first, who, and secondly, what is coming? Doesn't that help us to be patient? Isn't that the, the ultimate spiritual game changer? <coughs> For example, um, going through college or, or grad school can certainly try one's patience, but suppose you have a, 
strong prospects for a job, a good job upon graduation. Or even better, if you have been promised a job when you graduate, that helps us to be patient, doesn't it? So what kinds of promises does your Heavenly Father give to you and me about seeing Jesus? When He does arrive to take us home, will it be worth the wait? Will you be overjoyed that you have learned to be patient? Well, well let's see what's going to happen when when our Lord comes again. Open your Bibles to our Old Testament lesson for this morning. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 35. And as you're turning there, let me tell you this about Isaiah. He spoke with some of the strongest, the most direct, the most convicting words of judgment on God's people that you will find anywhere. But here, his God-given words of encouragement are even stronger. With word pictures, Isaiah says it like it is. He first mentions the desert, the parched land, the wilderness. That's life here and now, isn't it? And it's not a pretty picture. We'll be reminded of that in our prayers again this morning. And then Isaiah points out that the feeble hands and the fearful hearts of God's children. We can all identify with that as well. He described the Israelites as being spiritually blind and lame, mute and deaf. All of the things that, that no one wants to be, set, uh, to be known for. But all too often we are. Aren't we? It, it's okay. We, we can admit it. But more importantly, we can calmly, and yes, patiently, endure it. Because knowing that the day of the Lord will come, and anticipating the, the drastic, dramatic changes that it will bring, that makes us look ahead, makes us look forward. Because the split second that we see Jesus face to face, our brokenness becomes unfading beauty. Our, our life of waiting turns into glorious wonder. So much so that, that all will be mesmerized. Look at verses 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So let me take you back to this picture. I'm sure you remember it, the picture of the desert. That's life on earth today. That is life which is so much influenced by the prince of this world, the evil one. 
Life so dried up, life so parched and cracked that that life is unsustainable. It's, It's life devoid of water. And and that's what is to be expected from the one that Jesus said comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This depicts what left unchecked our sin does to us. But Isaiah offers God's people of of all time a reality that's, that's infinitely better. At the coming of Jesus, he says, the desert will be will be glad. The wilderness, even that, will rejoice with blossoms. And when Jesus, who is uh, those springs of living water, when He returns, we will have life to the full. Not because of the situation around us, but rather because of the Savior who's coming for us. And look also at the end of verse 2. When Isaiah talks about they here, he's really talking about we. The word they means us, you and me. So when Christ comes again, we will see the glory of the Lord. We will experience the splendor of our God. My friends, can you grasp that? In the Old Testament, with with only a couple of exceptions, any time a person came face to face with God, they would die instantly. Because those who are unholy, the wicked, cannot stand in the presence of the Holy One. But at His second coming, when Jesus returns for us, He is coming to take God's people home. All who have trusted in His death and resurrection for us. Those whose sins have been redeemed by His blood. And I mean all of our sin, the entirety of it. All of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our failures, our brokenness of every kind will be transformed into something of of unfading beauty. And then with verse 3, Isaiah gets even more personal. We've probably all known people, one or two at the least, whose, whose life has been hard. I mean, just really troublesome. A miserable life. And it could have been set off by health issues that were beyond their control perhaps by poverty or the restrictions that come with mental illness. Let me ask you, what what do folks like that need the most? They need the very same thing that you and I need. We need the gift of encouragement. So look at verses 3 and 4. 
Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. They and we need to hear that there is a a power outside of ourselves that we can tap into. The strength of Almighty God Himself is being offered. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul went through seasons when he needed that kind of encouragement. At one time or another, we all will. It's not a matter of if, it's when. So when that day comes, grab hold of that promise that Paul found courage in. In Philippians 4.19, he said, I can do everything through Him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. And also be encouraged by this. Your risen Savior knows what you are going through. He sees it. He he sees it all. And what's more, Jesus is coming to do something about it. When He comes, the guilty will face God's judgment. He will confront them with His righteous anger and retribution. He is coming to settle the score. But not with you. Not with you, people of faith. He's coming to save you. You who are humble, not proud. You whose hope is in your Savior, not in yourself. So not only will the creation come alive and blossom at the second coming, As the children of God, we will too. As the crown of His creation, we will too. Picking up with verse 6. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. People of God, the second coming of Jesus will mean widespread restoration. Things like birth defects and disease will be reversed. Those with various disabilities will will leap like deer. Places like Far West Texas will look more like Tyler State Park. How will that be? It's because our Lord's arrival will will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And it will all be part of of our salvation which He brings. And finally, not only will our brokenness become glorious beauty, but our waiting becomes glorious wonder. And that's why James spoke about being patient in the face of suffering. For those 
who persevere in faith, for those who hold on, looking to the Holy Spirit to help us, to the faithful, it'll all be worth it. Verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. It's hard to even imagine, isn't it? Being in the physical presence of Jesus Christ. Being forever removed from everything that is evil, from everyone that is rebellious and mean-spirited, from all that is dangerous or threatening, and then being surrounded by the blood-bought people of God. I mean, imagine if you can, walking alongside of Noah. Or of Joseph who, who gladly forgave his, his wicked-hearted brothers. Imagine being with Moses who was called a friend of God. And with David, a man after God's own heart. As well as how many of those heroes of ours from the New Testament days. I personally am looking forward to, to walking that highway of holiness with my parents and my grandparents with my son, and with all of you. All together, we will enter the gates of heaven singing. Everlasting joy will be our great prize. Gladness will, will overtake us. We'll be ecstatic with love. We'll be radiant with peace. More alive and thankful than, than we could have ever been here on earth. Because as heirs of God, He will share His glory with us. Sorrow and sighing will be unheard of. Not even a, a, a passing hint of disappointment will be possible. My friends, can you see it? If, if not, then try to imagine it because all this time of waiting and watching will, will finally be over. A lifetime of longing to see Jesus will instantly be forgotten because He who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine he will keep His promises to you. Jesus Christ is coming for you. He's coming to take you home. To be with Him and with all the saints. But until that grand and glorious day, be patient. Be patient.
Be faithful. And always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is never in vain. Amen. And may that peace of God that surpasses human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ.